My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and explain how we keep hitting all these records. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Kramer. Forget artificial intelligence for a minute. Right now, this market is often in the grip of authentic stupidity. Putting today with the Dow gained 156 points, S&P advanced 0.82%, NASDAQ jumped 0.95%. What's authentic stupidity and how does it play havoc with your judgment, especially when so many companies are doing so many things right? Let me give you some examples over the last couple of days of really positive things that were turned into negatives by authentic stupidity. Take the selling in the stock of Eli Lilly yesterday after a spectacular quarter. Lilly is arguably the best performing drug company of our year, if not all time. And its stock opened up about $35 yesterday, but slowly but surely worked its way down to finish off just over a dollar. That decline can largely be attributed to authentic stupidity because there was so much luck about Lilly's conference call. I'm not just talking about Munjaro and Zepbound, their diabetes and weight loss drugs, because those were a ton of great things about those things. The first, that Louis' revolutionary weight loss drug might actually work against MASH. That's a type of fatty liver disease, not to be confused with the all-time great comedy series of the same name. And if this wonder drug can work against serious liver disease, we could be talking about 15 million more people than we thought that could be taking this drug just in the U.S. alone. Something made all the more impressive by the fact that we don't have any good treatments for this sometimes fatal condition. We learned this yesterday when Lilly unveiled its phase two, not three, two clinical trial results. And those numbers were stunningly positive. Seventy four percent of participants achieved an absence of the disease after 52 weeks versus less than 13 percent for those who got the placebo. This result was so new. So hot off the presses that the analysts were caught by surprise, with one speculating that maybe it wasn't so spectacular, or else why hasn't the FDA considered the drug for accelerated approval? The Eli Lilly people, very gracious as always, were too kind to suggest that the analyst questions were powered by, yes, indeed, authentic stupidity. The chief scientists answered simply that the information was too new, so new that they hadn't even been able to communicate the results to the FDA yet. Now, I think these trial results for a big unmet need, like they could accelerate the approval of the drug for several liver issues, including fatty liver disease and, yes, cirrhosis of the liver. Until recently, this kind of treatment might have been limited to non-alcoholic liver disease. But now that the medical community has expanded the definition to include heavy drinkers, it's a gigantic group. I'd expect a bigger test than the 190 participants in this trial, because maybe several. Maybe one centered around those who had two drinks or more a, a, a night. But it's entirely possible that the FDA grants them accelerated approval because the disease is already so deadly and the drug in question is already on the market for diabetes and weight loss, so its safety is not in question. Second positive, on the same conference call, Lilly revealed that the FDA should rule this very quarter on their Alzheimer's disease drug, which the company believes has substantial benefit potential. Again, this is Eli Lilly. It's an incredibly cautious company. Can you imagine where the stock would go if the FDA gives them a thumbs up in the next few weeks? But those using their authentic stupidity co-pilot dumped the stock furiously because others were dumping it. Something that Bard and ChatGPT flagged to me as being dumb as wood. Today, the stock deservedly rallied 20 bucks back. Second example of authentic, sometimes known as native stupidity. People jumping in to buy shares in New York Community Bank the other day, only to find out that the company had lost its chief risk officer and chief audit executive, but simply hadn't disclosed it in time, which, believe me, is par for the course from this outfit. 
Given that 60% of the New York Community Bank's loans book is in the now despised high-risk commercial real estate category, according to Morgan Stanley, it took degenerative natural stupidity to recommend this one, let alone buy it. Third, I know that cybersecurity companies use deep learning and machine learning to catch the bad guys. But what I didn't know is that some traders use small language models to figure out what cybersecurity stocks to sell. They always seem to think they should dump the cybersecurity stocks, even though this may be the strongest theme of our group. Shallow learners, yes, as opposed to deep learners, had been fleeing Palo Alto networks and CrowdStrike over the last few days, but they came flooding back today when Fortinet, a not strong cybersecurity company, didn't blow the quarter. Authentic moronic behavior, perhaps? They should never have sold. But the best, by far the best example of authentic stupidity, or perhaps his close cousin, natural lunacy, might be from a nameless D.A. Davis analyst who on January 2nd assumed coverage of Apple with a neutral rating, that's right, a hold, and a price target of $166, almost 20 bucks below where the stock was trading at the time. The headline, oh, I like this one, waiting for innovation, assuming coverage with a neutral. Why? Because the analysts believe at $185 price, right? They think it should go to one, to, down to 166. Why? Because, well, the 185 price reflects, and I'm quoting, expectations for significant resumption of growth, which is less likely without an innovation breakthrough, end quote. More broadly, the analyst continues, we await Apple to get unstuck on the innovation front, end quote, before he's willing to upgrade the stock to a buy. That note cost shudders because if you start the stock with a hold and $166 price target, it seems that something's very wrong, going very wrong. Apple off the rails, perhaps? Before it falls 20 points, maybe you got to get out. Now, after Apple reported on February 1, this unnamed analyst talked about mixed results and the need to keep the stock as a whole with a $166 target. Why? Because he says, in order for the company to see meaningful growth in current and new products, it will require them to get unstuck on the product innovation front. Ha, ha, ha. Though, we may be witnessing a case of genuine, homespun, natural stupidity on our hands because less than a week later, less than a week later, Whoa, here we go. The same analyst got a chance to experience the Vision Pro firsthand. And what do you know now? Today, he's upping his $166 price target, the one that alarmed the whole street, taking it to 200 Why? Because as the piece's headline, game-changing innovation is back. Yep, he goes on to explain, quote, this product is a sign Apple can still innovate on the hardware side and will be in pole position for what we now consider a validated category of spatial computing, end quote. The Vision Pro, he says, indeed represents the significant leap the company promised in early reviews indicated. I'm speechless. Look, it's not like the Vision Pro was unknown the week before when he slammed Apple for lack of innovation. Given that so many of us had already tested the device, given that its qualities were pretty well known, if you look at any of the early reviews, the whole saga is just ridiculous. Why even bother initiating coverage on the stock if you haven't done your homework on the special new big product? I regard this as pure, authentic, and natural lunacy. This is what keeps people out of good stocks. This! This piece, this one right here, this one, this one. This is exhibit A for the prosecution and why I say you need to own Apple, not trade it. 
Now, there's plenty of authentic stupidity that, that produces the same answer as artificial intelligence. They both tell you to have to own Boeing, right? Authentic stupidity says because it's the stock won't go down. Artificial intelligence says, well, it's because there's only two companies in the business, them and Airbus, and Airbus is sold out. Uh, there are other instances, too. Authentic stupidity caused people to sell Chipotle off weakness of McDonald's caused by lower-income customers, even as Chipotle said it saw no decline in sales from that cohort. Hmm, maybe lower-income customers like fresh and natural food as much as anybody else? That's a query worth going to Bard for. And who knows what the uh, authentic stupidity will tell us to do tomorrow with the monster moves higher we're seeing in, uh, in after-hours trading with Disney and Arm Holdings, the latter up almost 30% in after-hours trading as it's boosted its forecast. Arm, of course, is a partner of NVIDIA in its domination of actual artificial intelligence hardware and software. Another stock I tell you to own, not trade, because there are so many people who want you to trade. But the bottom line... Each day on this front is a reminder that you can't just assume all the moves on your screen are products of any intelligence, especially during earnings season when the market is overrun by idiocy. So when you see some action that doesn't make sense, keep in mind that authentic stupidity is a perfectly plausible explanation, especially when it's sending down stocks that should be going higher if people just understood what was really happening. Let's go to Kyler in Nebraska. Kyler. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking the call. All right. What's up? Supermicro is obviously on quite the run year to date, but their CEO says there's an easy path to 30 plus billion in revenue, massive EPS growth ahead. And from a forward PE standpoint, the stock has actually gotten cheaper with their recent guidance. Do you think it's a good long term hold? A long term, yes. Uh, I think you're going to say buy it tomorrow. I don't know, because, I mean, one of the things that we've seen is that uh, like Eli Lilly yesterday, some of these stocks pull back and you get a chance. But uh, I, we, when we heard Supermicro CEO on Charles Lang, I, I have to tell you, I was quite impressed, quite impressed. Let's go to Sharon in Minnesota. Sharon. Hi. First, Jim, I want to say thank you and your team for us little guys. My husband and I had our retirement with a financial advisor at a bank and didn't realize how much they were charging in hidden fees, and it was in the thousands. They made more than we did. I think that you're a mensch, and I know your father would be so proud of you. I'm a member of the investing club, and I think it's a bargain. Um, I find you honest and transparent, and I really do appreciate that rare quality. My question is, with AI going to need more energy to support it, what do you think of NEE, Next Extra Energy? Uh, I think that your thinking is very, very good. I like that idea. And I will tell you, Sharon, just to be clear, I come from the brokerage industry and there are many, many great brokers and advisors out there. But I am honored about what you say. And I know that Pop did love the show. He used to call me every night at seven o'clock and said, Jamesy, that was the best show ever. And you know what? My daughter does it now. And I love it. Anyway, when you see some action that doesn't make any sense, especially during earnings season, keep in mind that there's a new thing. It's not AI. It's AS, authentic stupidity, and it's causing a lot of perfectly plausible moves. Look like they're good, but they're dumb as wood. Oh, man, money tonight. Elf has become the ultimate TikTok trend, and this quarter proved it. I'm digging into the beautiful report turned in by the cosmetics company when I sit down with the CEO. Then, after some big moves from Ford and GM, do these stocks still have room to cruise higher? I'll provide an update on the space and break down the latest in the two names. And Mattel has drawn the attention of an activist investor who wants to see some changes at the legacy toy maker. I'm hearing directly from the CEO, who's done a pretty much of an amazing turnaround. Let's see what he has to say of the challenges. Stay with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Judge Beauty is back. Beauty fades. Dumb is forever. His boss was overspending on beauty. She is wasting company funds. $92 on foundation. I just wanted to look glowing. That stuff isn't even cruelty free. <sighs> I find you guilty and sentence you to $14 glowy skin. Your Honor, in my humble opinion, that is more of a reward. In my humble opinion, you're a putz. Okay. Judge Beauty serves eyes, lips, facts. In Elf We Trust. Well, there you go. That was the newest Super Bowl commercial from Elf Beauty, the value-oriented cosmetics company. It's been one of the great growth stories of our era. But what's happening with the stock? Okay, after a magnificent run over the past three-odd months, it, it got slammed today. It's down nearly 5% in response to last night's earnings report. Even though the company delivered an impressive set of numbers, Elf gave you a substantial sales and earnings beat. Management raised in a full-year forecast across the board, highlighting several areas where they gained market share. This is the stock jumped, I think, correctly, 7% in pre-market trading, but it actually gave that up. So what happened here? Let's check in with Tim Rangman. He is the chairman and CEO of Elf Beauty. Find out more about the quarter, what comes next. Mr. Mean, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, thank you for having me. Well, if I get to vote on commercials, I don't have to see the others. Obviously, I just saw the funniest white. We were laughing and laughing about it. What makes you uh, think that this one, what's, what do you want this one to do? What do you want it to tell America? Well, you know, what we wanted it to do, well, first of all, we want to continue to broaden our awareness. And that was the reason why last year we partnered with Jennifer Coolidge, dramatizing the stickiness of our Power Grip Primer, the number one item in color cosmetics. So this time around, we decided to do the national national buy. We're partnering with Judge Judy, as you just saw, and this cast of suits. And this time we're dramatizing you don't have to overpay for makeup, that you can have our glow liquid filter and have the best of beauty at a fraction of the price. Now, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I've decided that when you know, look in my wife's, when I look at my wife's cabinet, there are $30 bottles and there are $6 bottles. And they seem very much the same to me. And now they seem very much the same to my wife. You have figured it out, sir. You recognize that people are paying too much for cosmetics. And you are really upending the entire paradigm. It's resonating in Target, in Walmart, in CVS. Tell us about the amount of shelf space that you've taken. It is monumental. Well, I think what we're being rewarded by is being the most productive brand in color cosmetics on a dollar per foot basis. We're the number one brand at Target, our longest standing national retail customer. And we're looking to replicate that strategy with other retailers. I'm very happy to, to announce that we're picking up space at CVS, at Walmart this summer, with Shoppers Drug Mart in Canada, with Boots in the UK. And it really is a reflection of the tremendous growth we're driving. I do want you to tell people, I can put words in your mouth, but I don't want you, just in terms of where your stock has come, since I, look, you first came on, stock was in the low teens. I mean, you, that's an 1,800% return in four years? I mean, that's rather remarkable. You, you have been the best performer of almost every stock I follow. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that, and I'm appreciative of the team. But I, I'd say there's three things that are driving that. First is our exceptional, consistent category-leading growth. We just finished our 20th consecutive quarter of growth. 
averaging at least 20% growth over that entire time. Uh, second is the tremendous white space people continue to see in us. Uh, we're highly confident we can again double our share in color cosmetics. Skincare and international are even bigger reason, bigger opportunities. Uh, but probably the most important thing that I'd, I'd point to is our high performance team. We're unique in the consumer space, not only the diversity of our team, but that we give every single employee equity in the company every year. So we have a passionate team of owners who are united in our mission to make the best of beauty accessible to every eye, lip, face, and skin concern. Sir, you must have many millionaires who work for you. We do have actually quite a few people who've created real wealth, and we want them to create wealth because they're driving exceptional returns. Now, let's talk about uh, what's happened over time to your customer. I think your customer may initially have been, you know, you, you, know, you serve the, an, undeserved, you know, an underserved group, a demographic, but has it not changed to the point where there are a lot of people who you regard as being, say, middle to upper income who just say, you know what, this stuff is great. I'm not going to overpay anymore for this kind of thing. Well, you know, we're already seeing that with uh, Gen Z. We're not only the number one brand amongst Gen Z with the 29% mind share, but that goes across every income segment. Our strategy has been pulling more people into the franchise. So we've been picking up millennials, Gen X, and this last quarter, we uh, partnered with Manuel Turizo, a rising Latinx star, uh, creating our Isip's face song in Spanish. And uh, we continue, we're over developing on Hispanics, and we continue to bring more consumers into the franchise, which is also one of the reasons why we're doing the Super Bowl app. Now, we have seen brands that resonate in the United States, therefore resonate overseas, whether it be in South America, South Korea, Europe. What are your international plans? I know they are happening right now. No, they very much are. As I mentioned, our international business was up 119% last quarter. And most of that growth were the first two countries we entered, Canada and the UK. Last quarter, we entered Italy with Douglas in Italy and quickly became their number one brand, not only in the mass side, but also across prestige. And we found two things. One, our value proposition resonates all over the world. And second, given our strength in social uh, media, uh, the Italian consumer already knew about Elf long before we got there. So we have big plans to continue to expand our brand to the world's consumers. How did you know? Uh, you're the first person who taught me that TikTok could be huge. I, I thought it was an extraneous point. How did you know and how explosive is that channel for you? Well, you know, our, our strategy is we want to live and follow where our community lives. And so we're always looking at what is engaging them, where are they spending their time? And particularly amongst Gen Z, we saw they're spending a lot of time on TikTok. So I think, you know, we're now like a four-time TikTok billionaire. Right. But we're not limited to TikTok. We also have our own channel on Twitch. This last quarter, we actually also did a branded experience for Roblox. Um, that branded experience is the number one branded experience on the platform, a 96% rating, over 5 million plays. So, And it also continues to help us broaden our audiences, including Gen Alpha. So we're really pleased with the strength we have across the various social channels, always being native and always looking to engage and entertain our community. Well, I want to thank you. I'm glad you mentioned your team because I've met many of your team and they are ambassadors. And they're, by the way, they're very happy that you came on our show. They remember when you were in, in the low teens, but they, they love you and they love your brand and they love the customers, most important of all. So I want to thank you for coming on the show. Look forward to watching your ad in real time on Sunday. That's Tyrag. I mean, he's the chairman and CEO of Elf Beauty. And I know this stock is headed to 200. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Look, Elf is just such a winner. We've been behind it all the way. We're not backing down now. Maybody's back in for the break. 
Coming up, EV demand has failed to get Wall Street's motor running. Is Detroit committed to an electric future, or is there a U-turn ahead? Stick with Kramer. Months now, I've been warning you away from the electric vehicle space because there's just much less demand for these things than nearly anyone thought not that long ago. Instead, the medium-term future still belongs to the internal combustion engine, the ICE, which is why I pounded the table in Ford and General Motors roughly three months ago. It turned out to be a good call, but also a lucky call as it came right as long-term interest rates had begun to plummet, making auto loans more affordable. Fast forward a couple of months, and the electric vehicle stocks, well, they started collapsing. Now, after Ford's terrific quarter last night, I think it's clear that Ford and General Motors are winning autos and winning auto stocks for 2024. Let's start with the stock of GM, which is up an incredible 45% since I recommended it on November 9th. Now, in late November, GM reinstated its earnings guidance, erasing worries about the United Auto Workers strike last fall. It also rolled out a really incredible $10 billion accelerated buyback plan. Now, it's a massive number given that this wasn't even a $40 billion company at the time. On top of that, they rolled out a 33% dividend boost. In response, the stock roared for weeks on end. Around late December, GM started trading sideways, though, and that's where it was stuck until last Tuesday when they reported again a remarkably strong quarter. We knew the quarters would be solid, at the very least, thanks to the November business update. But the actual results still came in far better than anyone expected. GM posted a huge revenue beat along with a big earnings beat and a very robust full-year forecast. In fact, their guidance was stronger than anticipated on every line. The analysts were looking for, say, they were looking for uh, 775 per share, okay? Uh, management said they could do 850 to 950. People expected less than $6 billion in free cash flow. GM said it's going to be more like 8 to $10 billion. Wow. In her terrific shareholder letter published alongside the report, CEO Mary Barr hit all the right notes, talking about maximizing the earnings potential of the internal combustion engine business while being more disciplined about profitability in the electric vehicle side. She only wants profitable growth there, not growth at any cost. On top of that, Barr made it clear that she thinks 2024 will be an up year for the auto industry in the United States. She's talking about sales of 16 million units, up from less than 15.5 million units last year. Now, between the quarter and the guidance, and managers home. It all indicated that GM now has a new plan in place, and they seem to be very confident in that plan. Buyers seem confident, too, as the stock popped nearly 8% in response to the quarter. And since then, you know what? It's, it's kept running. After GM's hot streak, I was wondering what Ford might be able to do, given that it had already rallied 24% from where I pushed it in November through last night's close. As Ford is in my chapel trust, I was more than a little concerned that they might not be able to keep up with GM. But last night, Ford turned in its own excellent set of numbers. It had a huge revenue beat, monster earnings beat, made 29 cents per share. They ended up only looking for 12 cents. And their guidance was even more impressive than the actual results. Ford expects they can generate $6 to $7 billion of free cash flow, more than double the $2.49 billion number, $2.49 billion number that analysts are looking for. They're, they're seeing tremendous strength in Ford Pro. That's their commercial business. And also good numbers from consumers' internal combustion division. And by, by the way, all of that is assuming flat or modestly higher full-year U.S. auto industry volume pair, paired with lower pricing. So they're really, I, they're giving you a very beatable forecast, I think. Cherry on top. Ford announced a special dividend of $0.18 cents per share. Even without that, the stock already has a 4.7% yield. But if you add in the $0.18 special payout, Ford's yielding roughly 6.1% this year. Now, why did the stock jump 6% today? On the conference call, Ford's management team talked about how they're now essentially holding off on moving to a second generation of electric vehicles, at least until they know how to make them without losing money. Before, they were going full board into electrics, no matter what the cost. Given that the demand for these things just isn't there, Ford, thankfully, can be more deliberate 
with the transition. In the meantime, they're focused on hybrids, which are really hot right now. Magin expects 40% hybrid sales growth this year, up from 20% last year, led by a hybrid version of their iconic F-150 pickup truck. And by the map, the Ma- I have the Maverick uh, hybrid. It's fantastic. Now, while I like GM and Ford because of their strong internal combustion business, I'm not ready to completely throw in the towel in the electric vehicles long term. When you listen to management teams from both of these great American automakers, it's clear that they aren't willing to give up either. The point is, they're not giving up on electrics. They're only slowing down the transition because they don't want to foolishly pay up for electric vehicle growth at any cost. They only want profitable growth going forward. They keep emphasizing this, profitable growth. And they don't want to make any vehicles that they lose money on. By the way, that was a promise CEO Jim Farley made to us when he took over the range not that long ago. Frankly, Ford's making so much money with its regular business with 15 to $16.5 billion in operating profit just from the commercial and consumer internal combustion divisions that they can afford to burn 5 to $5.5 billion in electric business this year and still be le- left with a pretty profitable company. I sure, look, I hope that they come in at four, four and a half, but I don't think they'll be able to. How profitable can Ford be? Well, so profitable that Ford can issue a special dividend while GM buys back a massive amount of stock, both positives. In the end, the auto strategy that I laid out late last year is working. We actually bottom ticked both Ford and GM on November 9th. Since then, they've been roaring. And now, after hearing from both companies, I'm even more confident that they're the right way to play the auto industry in 2024. Bottom line, even after these big moves, GM sells for less than five times this year's earnings estimate, 1.2% yield. Ford trades at less than seven times this year's earnings estimate, nearly nearly 5% yield. Now, look, I bet these estimates turn out to be way too low, and both stocks can keep climbing higher. In a market with not that much value left in it, count Ford and GM as two stocks that you haven't missed out on yet. Let's take calls. Let's go to Martin in my home state of New Jersey. Martin. Hello, Jim. How are you? I am good, Martin. How about you? Good, now. Uh, I would like to know about Rivian. Uh, sure. It's it's losing money every vehicle it makes. Uh, like, how can it sustain that? Uh, and uh, look, look, Martin, you're right. I mean, the, we went to see Rivian, and what we said: if there's another company that can ever be a Tesla, meaning a successful EV company, it is going to be Rivian. I think they have remarkable management. I think they have great vehicles. I think that you're going to lose, see the company lose money for a long time, as Tesla did. If you had called me when Tesla was 50 and losing money, and I said, you know, look, I want you to cut and run, people will be hounding me forever. I didn't say that. I think that Rivian is a long-term hold. Uh, there'll come a moment of inflection, and then you'll wish that you bought it. And that's where I come out on Rivian. Gary in Virginia. Gary. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. I, uh, I'm looking to add a uh, oil and gas uh, company to my portfolio, which I don't have as yet. And I was wondering what your uh, idea is about MPC, Marathon uh, Petroleum. You must have been reading our minds in my office. I turned to Ben Stoto, who is our major domo research man for this show, and I said, you know what, when was the last time we did a piece talking about how great Marathon Pete is? The company is making fortunes. You've got a winner. I would buy it. It's just a few points from its high, but it makes a ton of money. After hearing from both Ford and GM, I am even more confident now that there's a right way to play the auto industry in 2024. The medium-term future still belongs to the internal combustion engine. I know that, which is why I bet these stocks keep climbing. Remember, these are hybrid companies. Much more made money, including my Susan with Battelle. With a Barbie movie in the rear view, can investors... 
make some money in this toy maker? Or do we have to sit there and listen to what the activists have to say and then see what occurs? I'm going to get the latest from the CEO. Then Snap plummeted today after earnings. And I think this report signals an important moment for the ad space. I'll reveal what it is. And of course, all your calls, rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Are we ready to buy some stock of Mattel after the company trading what I guess I call a mixed set of numbers after the close tonight? While the fourth quarter numbers weren't great, top and bottom I missed. When you look closer, there was a lot to like. Some real positives. Sales growth accelerated, management's full-year earnings forecast pretty upbeat. Plus, they announced a billion-dollar buyback. That ain't nothing. So can the stock get rolling again? Let's take a closer look with Enon Christ. He's the chairman and CEO of Mattel to find out what's going on. Mr. Christ, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. It's great to be here with you. Okay, I'm so glad you're with us. I've got to tell you, you did the number. You've got a good outlook, but you are in one tough category. And I think that maybe you can describe when you came on last time. You said, look, Jim, Barbie, not the magic elixir. It's a very tough time for toys. Is it the time for toys or is it toys in general? Well, Jim, we have we had the very strong fourth quarter with double digit growth in top and bottom line and significant margin expansion. The year as a whole was a milestone year for the company. In addition to the incredible success of the Barbie movie, we extended our leadership in key toy categories, gained significant market share overall, and strengthened our financial position. You know, this year, we generated over $700 million free cash flow, which is more than two and a half times the prior year. And we're now just announcing today a new share, uh, $1 billion share buyback program, and believe we're in an excellent position to continue to execute our strategy. Well, I'm glad you brought up the buyback program, because as you know, there is an activist involved. I think the activists may not understand where you've taken the company from to where it is now, but I get that. People on Wall Street, it's what have you done for me lately? Uh, the activist Barrington wanted $2 billion buyback, wants you to separate the chairman from the CEO and has some other requests, including from uh, American Girl. But the fact is, you said, look, Here's what's happening. Barbie is going to be unbelievable for us. It's going to be great. But remember, there's not Barbie 2 yet. And there's not a new thing in the hopper. We're going to just have to exist on the toy business. And I have to tell you, I think that you've been very, very candid that you don't know with the economy where it is and where younger and also less well-off people, what they're going to do to buy. You've created what I think is a, what looks to be the right attitude toward a very tough business that you're in. Okay, our guidance uh, positions Mattel for continued execution. We're emphasizing growth and profitability, gross margin expansion, and strong cash flow generation. We expect to uh, grow in 2025, both top line and earnings. And with a strong balance sheet and our continued uh, expansion of margin, we position in the company for long-term growth. I agree with you, but the stock is not going higher, which makes no sense to me. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, why doesn't the stock go up more? And I have to believe, looking at Hasbro, which is not nearly the company that you are, that people have decided that, you know what, no matter how exciting toys are, it's not the way of the future. Roblox is the way of the future. Gaming is the way of the future. I think what you've done is created an artistic powerhouse, and you're the way of the future, but I want more people to believe in what you and I say. Well, we've been executing on our toy strategy very strongly and very consistently. We continue to grow and elevate our IP strategy, our entertainment strategy. 
And the Barbie movie is just one example. We've done the same in television, in digital, in consumer product, in publishing, in location-based entertainment. And you will see more of that ex execution coming, uh, happening this year. And in addition, we're just announcing today a, two, an, a new $200 million uh, uh, cost savings program that will continue to strengthen our position, not just in terms of cost savings, but also how we operate as a, as a strong enterprise that is positioned for long-term growth. And the toy industry, we expect it will continue to grow over time. It, the fundamentals are strong. We're very happy with our business on the toy side. And in addition to that, expect to grow on the entertainment side of the company. Right, well, do you have discussions with Barrington? I saw you had two new board members. Uh, I know Dawn Ostroff, a powerhouse. I don't know Julius Ganikowski, but I, from the background, looks pretty amazing from Carlisle. Is this the product of the discussion with Barrington? Or are you just kind of on your own and just saying, listen, Barrington, good ideas, but we could have come up with those ourselves? Well, we always welcome feedback and, uh, from our investors and happy to have a conversation with our shareholders. We, we've been in a quiet period, and we haven't spoken to uh, uh, our investors in this time frame. And you can imagine that the share buyback, the new board members, all of our various activities have been uh, in play for a while. And we continue to focus on execution. And I can tell you that without getting, getting into details, as a management team, we always look for ways to create value for our shareholders and continue to improve, strengthen, and optimize our operations. Well, one of the things you do, that I, look, I've been very proud of the things that you've done with Mattel. You've introduced, also, you've made Mattel look like the world, not just the way it was when I was growing up. I'm looking at some of the new products. I'm looking at an Uno. If we get the, whatever team wins this weekend in the Super Bowl, you've got a product ready. I've been telling McCormick to do the same thing for, for Spice. Because if, if that was what I thought Baltimore would still be in. Tell us about some of these new things and how quickly you can react. The old Mattel would react a year later what happened. Yes, we very much about embracing culture, creating cultural moments, cultural touch points, and make sure that we take brands that are timeless and make them timely. And we're very good at that. And you will see also Super Bowl product with our little people uh, collector, which is uh, really exciting. And this is what we do as a company. This is what we did with the Barbie movie, where this film became a cultural phenomenon. It wasn't just a movie, it was a societal event. And we look to continue to create these moments, these special connections with people who buy our product. And this is where we evolved as a company, where we think of people who buy our product, not just as consumers, but as fans that have an emotional relationship with our product. And this is what really was behind much of our success over the last few years to become more important, more relevant, and more connected to our fan base. Can you explain to people, as you explained to me multiple times, that Barbie is not one and done. Your idea is to have this to be an entertainment powerhouse that makes toys, as opposed to a toy company that does a one-off movie. I mean, maybe there's something big with Disney Princess ahead. Maybe American Girl can be revived by some fantastic movie. These are all within your ken. These are, who, these are the things that's your DNA. That's right. We own one of the most iconic portfolio of children and family entertainment franchises in the world. And we've proven with the Barbie movie, which was a showcase for how our brands resonate outside of the toy aisle and the cultural engagement that we can create in the marketplace is that was just one example. But our vision for Mattel Films as one example 
is to collaborate with leading filmmakers to make standout quality movies based on our iconic brands that will resonate in culture and appeal to global audiences. Okay, well, when there's- and the point is that oh, our brands are so much more than toys and there's so much exciting opportunities for us ahead. Well, one last thing, I just want to, you did flag that you're worried about the consumer. Now, I think we have two consumers. We have the consumers doing incredibly well in this country. Unfortunately, you know, I both know there's inequality in the country. Consumers not doing that well. Where are we? What is your prediction for 24 for whether we have uh, never the twain shall meet or will everyone be able to afford your toys? Well, we expect 24 to be relatively soft, a right. softer year, but not as soft as 23. But what we do as a company, we have multiple price offerings and make sure that we cater for different consumers, different demographics, with different product, a very wide variety of product. And this is where we excel as a company in understanding the market where we operate and driving demand, creating demand for our product and continue to engage with fans of all ages all over the world. Well, look, I think that you've done a remarkable job. I was surprised to see an activist, but you, these are the... These are times where you just, just, it just happens. I've seen you turn around this darn company, and I, I think that you've done an amazing job. I remember it was half this price, and you told me maybe I ought to get interested in it, and that's what I remember. I want to thank you, Don Christ. Mattel, Chairman, CEO, MAT, thank you for coming on, Don. Good to see you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Man, Mike's back after the break. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. It is time. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy's over the lightning round. I'm going to start with Martin in New Jersey. Martin. Good evening, Jim. How are you, sir? I am good. How about you, Martin? Excellent, excellent. You've got a uh, patient bull here on the phone. <laughs> we have a question about uh, DWAC, Digital World Acquisition. Well, it's um, kind of a it's a political spac. I, I you know that's that's just kind of a political stock spac, and I don't really have much to say about it. Uh, I, there are other people who who are, are more, I'd say, inclined to comment on it. Let's leave it that way. Uh, let's go to Keith in New York. Keith. Hey Jim, booyah from the Hamptons, bro. There you go. See you question. soon. Like six months. What's part, up? Uh, Two-part question. Taiwan Semiconductor is performing very well as the world's number one foundry. They're growing aggressive growth plans. They're building new plants in Arizona, Germany. We just heard right. about Japan. They're going to be a freaking powerhouse in 12 uh-huh. to 36 months. Is geopolitical risk the only thing holding back this stock? I think that the earth. reason why it sells at a lower multiple than other stocks is the geopolitical risk, which I think is overstated at this moment, given the fact that the government of China seems to be a little less inclined to take, offen- take uh, offensive action. Uh, it is a great company. What can I say? Let's go to Natalie in Georgia. Natalie. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. I'm calling the ticker um, Celestica, CLS. You know, that's a contract manufacturer, not unlike J-Bill and Sanmina. And these companies are all doing very well, and I like them. They've kind of an unknown cohort that used to be very much talked about. You got to go in there. Let's go to Alan in Arizona. Alan. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, Pinduo Duo has seen its stock surge in a V-shaped rebound recently. Uh, but with Timu spending so much on ads and facing stiff competition from giants like 
Amazon, Alibaba, JD, and Wish. Do you believe investing in Pinduoduo Duo could be a gamble at this I, moment? I, I don't want to use the term invest. I think you can trade these because I believe that the PRC is desperate to move the stock market up, including PDD. I was surprised that Alibaba reversed today. I know the government wants that stock higher. It sounds strange to say that, but I know it's true. Sam in Colorado. Sam. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Sam. How about you? I'm all right, Jim. You know, one, one thing that I'll pay attention to now is commercial real estate. And with all of the disruption that's going on, particularly with office and the Fed's recent, I, I, I think we should take it as cold comfort with the Fed's recent confidence with Jay Powell on, on 60 Minutes and the interview this okay. with Cash Kari. There seems to be a little bit of complacency uh, going on there. Nonetheless, uh, with all of the disruption going on in office, one company in particular that seems to be benefiting from it is Comfort Systems. My question is, has all of the good news been priced into the stock? Has it gone up? You know, look, oh, these well. heating ventilation air conditioning stocks trade like they're semiconductor stocks. I, I like TT very much. Uh, comfort Systems is good. I think that the undervaluing right now is Carrier. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, Gen Z is still stuck on Snap. So why did the stock just report a billion-dollar loss? Kramer explains next. When we were growing up, we had a plethora of different places to read or watch or listen to something. We read newspapers in the morning and the evening. For me, the Philadelphia Inquirer and Evening Bold. And we watched 3, 6, and 10, which at the time were NBC, ABC, and CBS. We read Time, Newsweek, Book, and Life. And, of course, we listened to the AM radio stations. Didn't have FM back then, let alone Spotify. All these things were chock full of ads, some direct response, some brand. I guess we paid attention to them and maybe bought some things that they're urging. But talk about an attenuated process. We'd listen to ads and search out where to find the product, then try to figure out the cheapest price before finally buying the darn thing, or maybe not. The ultimate winners were indeed 3, 6, and 10 because TV reached everybody. Those three networks were ubiquitous, and they were incredibly powerful. They destroyed pretty much everything else in journalism because they had more customers. Now, well, now we have a new 3, 6, and 10, but they aren't on TV. They're alphabet, meaning Google and YouTube. Meta, meaning Facebook and Instagram, and Amazon. There's no attenuation, no latency. You see, uh, you see the price you buy. Next day, there it is. Best of all, their ads are targeted. In the old days, when you advertised on TV or radio or the newspaper, you fully acknowledged that you were reaching millions of people, most of whom didn't care at all about what you were selling. What a waste of money. But there's no waste of time or money with Alphabet, Meta, or Amazon. You're reaching exactly the people you want and almost no one else. That's fantastic return on investment, which brings me to Snap, the parent of Snapchat. Here's a social media company that has 414 million daily average users, an increase of 39 million year over year. Monthly active users surpassed 800 million on the way to, to their goal of 1 billion. You might think a company with that kind of growth would be a huge winner, but there's a problem. Snap has a lot of younger users, so young that maybe they don't do any household buy. When Snap reported last night, the company was all excited about the user growth, but that translated into flat revenue growth last year, reflecting a difficult environment. Yet they crowed about how terrific things were. However, left out of Snap's crowing was a net loss of $1.3 billion, hence the stock's hideous 35% meltdown today. How can Snap be performing so badly when, say, Meta certainly didn't have a challenging operating environment, put up fantastic numbers, mid-20s growth, for heaven's sake? You'd think Snap and Meta are in the same environment, but I'd say not so fast, because Snap's audience is just too young. Snap's viewers are not the demographic that pulls the trigger any more than the audience of highlights was when I was growing up. Oh, yeah, that's still in business, too. When you've got an ad-based business model, you need to be where the shoppers are, not where the children are. 
on top of that, Snap makes what I call, uh, I guess you could call content, but you make the content, you, on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, you. And the seller pays for the ads on Amazon. No wonder Snap's still losing huge amounts of money. The business model's terrible. Now, it's possible to have journalism that can make money on the web, but it tends to work only in conjunction with television or having some kind of subscription-based business model. Those can make money. But for most other media, I think we need to just accept the fact that we're back in the world of 3, 6, and 10 without the expensively made cop and firefighter shows and the now tiresome hospital dramas. Other than Amazon Prime, which comes up with its own programming, these companies can outsource that to their user base while offering the kind of targeted advertising that businesses could only dream of when I was a kid, which increasingly was a very long time ago. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Kramer on this podcast are solely Kramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Kramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Kramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Kramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries will warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer.